In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. All right, so today I thought we would kick off, I think we've talked before, possibly on the podcast, possibly just in life, about what, if you could choose a superpower, what would you choose? Um, <laughs> but today, on a riff of that, I was wondering if you, if the power was not up to you and what you got was invisibility, what might you do if you were invisible? Hmm. I'd like to think I would do all like benevolent things mm-hmm. um, or just like, <laughs> I don't know, like uh, funsy, like jokes on people like tapping. Maybe like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's two sides of it. I feel like I could go very like whimsical, like tapping people on the shoulder, um, sort of being able to feel like I could like haunt people while alive Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe I would do that maybe overhearing conversations maybe that starts to get a little darker a little bit more voyeuristic um I could also (sighs) it's a good question like would I I mean, I wouldn't, like, fight crime or anything. <laughs> I don't, think. Like, even, I don't think I would do anything, like, like that, that useful. altruistic or anything. Yeah, I don't see myself really doing that. Because because with invisibility, it's not like you are immortal. No. So you could still die, like, yes. if you got hit by a car yes. or whatever. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, there is a part of me... This is going to sound bad where, like, I am very um, curious about real estate. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like in, especially in New York, there's so many, like, cool houses. You would, like, slip that in. I would be. Side. I would be very, yeah. I feel like I'd be very tempted anyway to just, like break into a bunch of houses and just check them out. I wouldn't steal anything necessarily. Right. I would just be curious, like just straight up, like I would like a tour, please. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for all that invisibility appears in like books and film and TV as like this amazing thing. And like, just imagine like the power you would derive from it. I think it might actually mm-hmm. be the opposite where like like you said like you would have to be really careful crossing the street cuz no one would see you so you could like get easily injured yeah. hit by a car hit by a bus um someone could if you were trying to like 
sneak through a doorway to look at a fancy apartment. They could shut that door right on your hand or... That's true. Um, That's true. You know, a variety of other things. I think it might actually make you weirdly vulnerable in a variety of ways. That's um, that's true. And I do think that it's a, you know, quote unquote superpower that could really mess with your mental health too. Well, as this movie indicates, <laughs> because, absolutely. Well, <laughs> yes. And, and not, and not even in the way this particular movie indicates, but like in the way that, you know, it is interesting that we consider invisibility a superpower, to be honest, because how many times in life do people say like, oh, I just feel invisible. Nobody sees right. me. Nobody cares. Right. And that's like a negative right. thing that we're right. saying. And then at the same time, we're like, oh, I'd love to be invisible. Well, and as well, like um, the issue I can imagine is like uh, you said, like overhear conversations, like be party to things that you normally wouldn't be party to for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but what if, like, and this movie has a few scenes like this, where, like, what if you hear something about you that you wish you never knew, um, you know? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's funny because when I said, like, overhear things, I actually was picturing that, like, picturing, like, I want to hear the bitches say about me what they're going to say. But, yeah, that would obviously be, I think that's something, again, this weird, like, we wish we knew stuff like sure. that that people were saying about us or things that people were doing behind our backs. But when actually confronted with that, yeah, people are just upset. Well, and I think <laughs> um, it's also like, I think it's all, it cuts like a few different ways in terms of like the kind of like emotional damage it might cause. Cause like on the one hand, say you overhear mm-hmm. something about yourself that you don't want to hear and that sucks. Okay. What if the opposite happens where you're like, no one talks about me. Like no one gives a shit at all. <laughs> like and I and I am yeah. genuinely or, invisible, like two people around me. Right. Like, or it could be it could even be like weirdly like a positive thing could go go negative where like, okay, you overhear all these conversations and they're always like gassing you up and they're always like oh she's so cool I love her she's great they're great this and that and then you start to have an inflated ego and now you start to become kind of an asshole right right (laughs) and and certainly this movie that we're talking about this week is there's a part where it is like this particular character gets so um yeah hopped up on their own supply or whatever you would say that uh, I have questions about that. He's like Let me saying, get to that part. I is, have questions. I'm a god now. Like this is a gift, and like you know all these things. Yeah. So I guess maybe this is a good opportunity to transition to hello everyone. Welcome to see you next week in space. <laughs> I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host Amy Walsh. And Amy, why don't you tell the good people what we're going to be talking about today? Well, you may have guessed it, but maybe not. Um, if you're not versed in invisibility movies, um, but of which we there are, are more two- than I would imagine. I, there's quite a lot of invisibility sure. movies. I did not know that. Yeah, I believe that it's a phenomenon that I do think, as a as a human race, we are fascinated by, yeah. and um, for although I will say as a movie maker which I am not one but 
I would think that dealing with invisibility is difficult technically in a movie. So I'm sure I would probably stay away from it if I sure. were a director. But anyway, um, we are talking about the 2000 movie Hollow Man. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, featuring a variety, a real cavalcade of uh, ca- uh, stars uh, of varying degrees. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the IMDb description of this movie is that a brilliant scientist's discovery renders him invisible, but transforms him into an omnipotent, dangerous megalomaniac. Um, I would just say I don't think that he's omnipotent in this. Like, Yeah, what is that? That it just remind me of that definition. That means you are all-powerful? Yes. Okay. Because, I mean... Yeah, I wouldn't call him that either. No. He's a human yeah. who happens to be invisible. Yeah. Like, he's got... Like, for example, like, being invisible doesn't seem to make him physically stronger. It doesn't seem to make him any smarter. No, it like, gives him an edge. Yeah. Yeah. I do agree. It gives him an edge in, in specific scenarios. I do but. agree <laughs> that he's a dangerous megalomaniac. I would also take uh, a little bit of uh, umbrage with this description because I don't think the serum transforms him into being a dangerous megalomaniac. I think he already was um, before anything yeah, happened. Yeah, well, I have... Co- I, I agree. I have questions about... We'll get to it, I guess. Like, the invisibility, like changing the personality which they kind of allude to before even he's invisible they do um but we can talk about it when we get there so this uh movie fits into our broader arc of looking at paul verhoeven movies of which we've now watched quite a few um Mm. this is the follow-up to starship troopers um Mm. and Actually, his biggest hit, uh, like commercially, uh, since Basic Instinct was it? Was it, it? Oh, he did Basic Instinct. This was like popular yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could see that. I mean, I don't like because I, I knew that I had seen this movie prior to watching it for this week. What I couldn't remember is if I saw it mm-hmm. in the theater or if I saw it. Like on video, you know, the whenever it first came out on video, that I couldn't. Do you remember? remember. Does it? Do you know if it came out like around Halloween? Because it was more horror-y than I had Let thought it was going look. to be. To be honest, um, <laughs> it's definitely like I, I thought. It, I read different things that some called it sci- sci-fi thriller. Another yeah. thing called it straight-up sci-fi horror. No, this was released on August fourth of the year two thousand. Um, so oh, yeah, maybe I did know that because I looked that up. Um, oh, so it's like a summer blockbuster yeah, type of Yeah, thing. and in fact, so this movie's mm-hmm. budget was approximately $95 million, and Whoa. the worldwide gross was $190 million. Um, So I hmm. do think this probably was um, Paul Verhoeven's Biggest commercial success, well, it, that's what I said, like the biggest commercial success since Basic mm-hmm. Instinct. And then, of course, we've also mm-hmm. done Paul Verhoeven is RoboCop as well. Um, oh, okay, okay. So, and we, I think in some cases I would say I can sort of see this movie and RoboCop as connected 
in a sort of way. Mm -hmm. Even though the thing about RoboCop is like he he is like revealed to be good on the inside still, like and have a sense of justice. Yeah. Whereas here it's like this guy not so he's much. He's a bad one, and this access to this change brings out his worst traits to like the yeah. public. Um so in terms of what kind of production stuff I thought was interesting here, um, this movie was actually shot in chronological order, which is really unusual. Um, most movies are not shot yeah. in chronological order. And the reason that was so is because the final scene um, involves a massive explosion that blows up the entire like lab set that they that most of the movie takes place in. And and they really blew it up. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Is Whoa. so a lot. One of the things that I learned while preparing for this is that a lot of what's done here is actually practical effects. Um, so they do actually indeed blow up the set that the lab is, you know, to, Whoa. or well, blowing it up may be too strong a word, but they like do whatever practical practical effects they need to do to make it look as though it's exploding. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And like specifically, this goes to your kind of question of like how do movies about invisible people get made? Um what they were originally trying to do was to have um, all the other actors do their lines, do their interactions, and Kevin Bacon would not be on set, would not be there. Mm. And what that resulted in, probably unsurprisingly, was like really wooden and terrible performances because people would be like one person would just be standing in a room delivering their lines to no one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so what they ended up doing instead was, um, they would shoot the scene with Kevin Bacon in it and the person acting like off of him. And then they would shoot the scene mm-hmm. again without him in it. And they, like the way that they managed to do it was apparently they would set, um, the cameras would be run by computer so that they could get the exact same shot twice over and then just like Mm. splice them together in such a way that we have like the person acting with Kevin Bacon and doing like the proper, you know, emoting and whatever. And then the, and then adding the additional scenery of like, he, he is no longer there, but we're interacting. Interesting. Um, Hmm. yeah. So apparently from what I gather, um, this was probably a rather long shoot, kind of a laborious process to do everything, you know, twice over. Um, yeah. And then as well, uh, the, the movie itself was really, uh, applauded for its special effects, pr- particularly as relates to making Kevin Bacon be invisible. Um, I thought it was good. I was impressed, I'll be honest. Like, I know, like, 2000 isn't, like, 1980, but, like, I I was definitely impressed. I thought it was... Yeah, yeah, I really... I thought all the effects were really good. Yeah, like, they hold up really well. Like, Mm -hmm. because 
Yeah, as you say, it's not as though 2000 is like the Stone Age for effects, um, practical and CGI wise. But especially if they were all practical. Um, but, yeah. Uh, this, yeah, this has stood the test of time in a way that other stuff from that era, you watch it and you're like, no, what is this? Like, um, yeah, well, not everything was practical because as well, uh, as I have here, according to Wikipedia, um, to make the like, um, invisible version of bacon seem really genuinely like his body, um, Mm-hmm. They did this, like, very close scan, like, computer scan of his body, which in the Wikipedia terms says, including his genitals. Um, Yikes. Which you do see in this movie more than once when he's, like, really? yeah, there's, like... I missed it. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring it up when it happens, but um, there's a couple okay. times where I was, like, whoa, we're seeing... Um, a half man and his like penis is flopping around like this is weird. Um, Ew. I'm I must have been looking away because I do not remember. Uh, that. I don't think that I was like specifically looking for it. I'll say that, but um, sounds like you were. It wasn't subtle either, and so I was like, wait a second, am I really? I must have not been paying what I'm seeing? Like, so that was kind of wild. Interesting. Um, and so, yeah, the that was kind of the thing that primarily this movie got recognition for was the effects and making... Kevin Bacon's genitals? Well, no, actually, Kevin Bacon's genitals <laughs> okay. got famous from Wild Things more than from this movie. Um, oh, is he someone who's known for, like, showing genitals? Well, I don't is know that, that he's known for it, but I do recall... <laughs> That when Wild Things came out, one of, like, the big buzzes was that he did a full frontal uh, nude scene. Oh. Um, and I mean, that is pretty rare for, for men in Hollywood. Yeah, and so everyone was... And, like, non-pornographic. Yes, and so everyone was all aflutter over getting a chance <laughs> to see Kevin Bacon's penis. Ay, ay, ay. And just to round out that conversation, you do see it in Wild Things... <laughs> But it's like he's getting out of the shower. So it's this very, like, nonchalant, like, oh, and here's a naked guy. And so you're almost like, why is this even here? But, um, you know, it's the same as I I will say when we get to the scene where he's attacking his neighbor. I guess it's the same thing. It's like, how come her breasts have to be in this? Like, I don't know, but here they are. So... Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess at, at, at this time in his life, Kevin Bacon seemed happy to put his genitals out there for the world, um, and the world said, "We've been waiting More power for to this." Him, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So just to round things out, I also thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, they considered for the role of Sebastian. They considered. Uh, Guy Pierce and Ed Norton at various moments, um, but in the end, I could see Ed Norton. I could see both I don't know of who them. Guy Pierce is, to be honest. Guy Pierce is the main character. If you ever saw Memento, he was the main character in that. Um, what other things is he known not. for? Um, I'm trying to look him up. So yeah, he know. does uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to 
Um, this is like... Um, oh no, that's Hugo Weaving, who I'm thinking I of. I see his face. Oh, I see. Okay, I just looked him up. I don't know that I particularly recognize him, but I could... I, he looks... <laughs> this picture of him that comes up um, when you Google him, he looks like a kind of like smoldering scientist yes. man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> what you could say, especially, like, at that time, like, Guy Pierce, Ed Norton, and Kevin Bacon are all of a similar age. They have, like, kind of a similar yeah. wiry body type, you know, and a and a kind yeah. of intensity that, that all three could, like, bring to this role, and it would be probably fine. But, um... Yeah, and, and like, an attractive, but also in, like, a smart kind yeah. of way. If, like, attractive, but, like, believable that they might be a scientist. Yeah, and I think is, sense. I will say, I do think that this movie, I'm not sure if I think it's a good movie. I'll, I'll say that up top. I'm not sure I think this is a good movie. Okay. But okay. I do think that Kevin Bacon is able to bring a likability to a very unlikable character that Ed Norton and Guy Pierce, I think, would not have brought quite that same thing to the role. A hundred percent. So yeah. So there was like a part even of me from just looking at the start where I was like, oh, maybe Sebastian's okay, you know, like. But then I was like, oh no, he sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's really, really bad. No, he really. <laughs> He really does suck, and I don't know. There is something about Kevin Bacon, like, even when he plays... Because I think he, this is not, like, the only guy he's played who sucks. That's um, true. He plays a lot of jerks, I can't think, I I can't like. think of a... <laughs> yeah, and he's actually kind of good at it, yeah. but it's what's weird about it is he does remain likable in a certain way. Absolutely. Like... Yeah, that's it's interesting because now I've I've just thought of like two horror movies that I've seen him in in more recent years, and he's a dick in both of those. What are the movies you're thinking like, of? One is called You Should Have Left, oh, I've not even heard and of the other one, oh yeah, it's pretty. I I liked that one. It's a Bloomhouse one. Okay, um, and the other is called They Them. I've not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not um, familiar with any of them. Oh yeah, they're both. They're both worth watching. I mean, if you like that kind of thing, mm. they're both very different from each sure. other. But, um, yeah, he's sort of not a good guy in either of those. And yet, yeah, <laughs> very watchable. Yeah. And- yeah. No, I do think he does seem to have just like a presence or a vibe or a chemistry. Mm-hmm. I Who's to say precisely what it is? Where yeah. like, yeah. And maybe that's the point of the various horror movies he's, in, which is like he starts out and he maybe seems a bit cocky or arrogant or something and you're like mm-hmm. oh you know like I can forgive that he is kind of a cool guy he is kind of <laughs> handsome you know like all this stuff and then as the yeah, I wonder what it is as like, the movie goes on you're like oh I can't he sucks like oh boy <laughs> this guy's real bad and, and like I I wonder what it is like I wonder if it's like his his like first or initial roles in film were, like, the nice guy. So that's, like, what got ingrained in us. Because I know, for example, like, Ed Norton, what the hell is that movie he's in? Like, but it's, I think his big breakout role was one where he's a really bad guy. So maybe that is, like... Yeah, it could be. could be that he just kind of has kind of, like... Yeah, his earlier roles were, like, charming, mostly nice guys. And so, like, 
later stuff, you're like, yeah, oh, he's still got to be mostly a charming, nice guy. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'll forgive yeah. it because it's him. Yeah. You know? So like specifically for the purposes of this movie, this Kevin Bacon is 42 in this and plays the scientist, the titular hollow man, uh, Sebastian Kane, um, which actually Sebastian Kane mm-hmm. sounds like that's like a man from a soap opera, but, um, it does. Uh, and we've already talked about him, so we don't really need to go into Kevin Bacon again. He's opposite his yeah. love interest. And I say that dubiously, um, is a character yeah. called Linda McKay played by a 37 year old Elizabeth Shue. Um, I found this really interesting about her. Um, she went to Wellesley um, and then transferred to Harvard. So she's quite the smart cookie. Wow. Um, but alongside those studies, she started doing commercials in like her teens and early 20s. Um, and I can mm-hmm. totally see it because she's got like you know, that great set of white teeth and stuff. And I'm like, that's a commercial thing. You need that in a commercial. Oh, she has a very commercial face, I would say, Um, too. And so her breakout role is as a love interest in The Karate Kid. Um, Mm. But she's also featured as Marty McFly's girlfriend in Back to the Future 2 and 3. Um, right. She also, I have not seen this film, but I've heard of it, Piranha 3D. She's been in that. She's in that. Mm. Um, she also was in CSI for a few years, which I didn't know. Um, because CSI is one of those ones where I'm like, I know I've seen a fair few episodes, but I've never like committed to the whole thing. Um, yeah. And then more recently, she's been, excuse me, in The Boys and, of course, the kind of, uh, I guess it's not a remake, but it's like a building of the world of Karate Kid. So she's also been in Cobra Kai as the character she played yeah. in Karate Kid. Okay. Um, then we have the character Matthew Kensington, uh, played by a 42-year-old Josh Brolin, um, okay. I have a question. Okay. I have my favorite, I have my favorite question to ask. Oh God. I, now when, I know what's happening. Uh, <laughs> now I know what's happening. Okay. Okay. At this, and I'm just going to go with this stage sure. of Josh sure. Owen at 42. Yeah. Do we think, <laughs> and by we, I mean yes, you. Yes. I was like, I, I like you how you're think- including the both of us in this. <laughs> do you think he is attractive yeah this is a tough one because what's funny about this is so I have here in his list of credits that his very first credit is in the Goonies in 1985 Mm -hmm. and I remember that the first time I watched the Goonies let's say I was 11 or something when I first watched it and at that time I believe Josh Brolin in that movie is like 15 or 16. 18 or something. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. He's that young? Yeah, he's very young in that okay. movie. And okay. I remember thinking at the time that he was like the dreamiest boy of boydom <laughs> in that movie. Wait, now I gotta look up a picture of him from Goonies. I can kind of picture he's it, but like. He's really super cute and he's always, he's got like, you know, the typical like bandana around the head look of the 80s. Yeah. Like, um, 
So I re- yeah, and that remained true for me. Like as I, I bet you I'm. Are you looking I'm at the go ahead and image say, now? Yeah, I am, and I'm gonna go ahead and say that like if you look at this now, I'm curious if you would think the same thing. Like I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just so eighties. I guess it's hard it is, to like. Absolutely, it is. Um, <laughs> um, now, admittedly, I will say that like the very fi- like when you Google Josh Brolin Goonies, the very first photo that shows up is not the photo. Like that's not Good. the shot that like I always thought he was so cute. No, um, no. But it's the shot is actually I don't know if you're looking at the same thing as I'm seeing. The shot is actually like one where it looks like maybe there's a picture of him like later in life doing the same thing, and then there's like a smaller inlaid picture. <laughs> Where he's like standing, leaning against something. Yeah, leaning against. And I can see yeah, it there. Like leaning against the porch, like beam or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then there's also a part in the movie where he and his little brother, played by Sean Astin, have like a nice moment together and they hug. And then he's also very cute in that <laughs> moment. Um, <laughs> but like, and I remember thinking basically from the time I was, I guess, about 11 to probably the time I was about, let's say, 17. So, like, you know, just getting mm-hmm. closer and closer to his age and then slightly above it in that movie. And thinking, mm-hmm. like, he still was super cute to me. As an adult <laughs> man, both in this movie that we're talking about today and subsequently, like, how he looks now, um, his looks are not for me. Uh, yeah. Which... And I couldn't really tell you exactly why, um, because yeah. he's he's genuinely handsome. You know, like I'm like that's not that's right. not even debatable. He's a genuinely handsome guy. Um, but yeah, something about his the overall package somehow yeah. for me is like I prefer Kevin Bacon to him. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, it's like, gosh, I feel like there is like definitely a specific vibe about the guys that I asked this question about, <laughs> and like because they're all like very like, traditionally think, masculine, manly men. I think are the ones you ask most often about. I guess, I guess that's what it is. Where it's like I know they're sp- like I can tell by the way the movie is telling me that they're supposed to be attractive yeah. and that they're supposed to be like this like. And I'm and I'm not getting it. Yeah. Like, and that is the thing about him. It's like I I would see him on the street and I probably would be like, yeah, sure. He's there's like nothing wrong with him. Like, he's not like an ugly man. He's not like, like Quasimodo walking down the street. Yeah. But yeah, the, it is just like a not for me site type of thing. Yeah, and I will so, say and, like specifically in this movie, I. I don't know. I feel like they maybe even try to tamp down his sexiness in some ways. Like, mm. he always seems... Because he's not supposed to be, like, as cool as Right, Kevin Bacon. he's supposed to be kind of a nerd. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what's supposed to, like, make Lynn more attracted to him than she ever was to Sebastian. And I'm like... Yeah, I mean, it is true, probably, that if you've dated someone who's, like, really an arrogant prick, that, like, 
the next person you <laughs> a nerd might be nice. Yeah, I get that. That's like yeah. it's the it's the kind of it's like the George Costanza where you're like, oh, my instincts are totally wrong. So now I'll do the exact opposite of what I did before. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think in this movie, to me, he especially doesn't really read as particularly like handsome or sexy or whatever. Yeah. Whereas in other things, I'm sure he would. But, like, so, for example, like, in terms of his mm-hmm. stuff that he's done, do you remember when we watched the movie Thrashing together? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I do. Was he in that? Yes, apparently he was, like, the main guy in that, which I didn't remember at all. <laughs> oh, I have to look that up now. That's, oh, my God. Speaking of, that movie is wild. I think I need I to watch oh, it again okay. because I totally forget everything about it other than that it was kind of oh. amazing. Okay, here's the thing. He's kind of cute in that. Yeah, of course. But, like, but... But in such an 80s way. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, again, it was like, the 80s. But he's got longer all. hair. <laughs> he's got longer and lighter hair, yes. which I think actually works better on him. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That movie was so fucking weird. I think um, I need to watch it yeah, again Yeah, he is now. cuter in this one. Yeah. Um, that's so yeah, funny. Yeah, so that's, like, he goes from Goonies to Thrashin'. And then, like, kind of does oh, that's so funny. does what we often see, kind of for certain types of movie actors, where like there's like years and years of like, and I'm the supporting male lead, and I'm the this, and and it's this kind of weird mediocre series of movies, and he just does that for quite a while, mm-hmm. and I would actually characterize this as a bit of that. Um, Mm-hmm. And then he kind of busts out and ha- has a big, like, breakout role in No Country for Old Men. Um, he right. plays George W. Bush in W, I think. And then he's in... Oh, yeah. Does he? Really? Yeah, and then he's in oh, he, Milk. Yeah. In, in, well, for... But, okay, well, we can go by attractiveness and all the No Country for Old Men, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh... W as W, I'm going to go ahead assume and say no. No, thank you without even no. looking up pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a no. Milk, I don't remember him in, but. Um, I mean, I think he was just playing some politician again. Oh, um, uh, yeah. He just looks whatever in that. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, and so, and then more recently, he plays Thanos in the MCU, um, which, like, has um, nothing to do with his looks because it's all like a computer generated image of a person um oh wow interesting yeah i've never watched any of those uh i mean okay. i wouldn't i think you're fine if you've missed a, them at i'm not this going point, to like you, you can't you don't have the time to dedicate to like watch all of those no and i'm not and i don't have and i don't have the wherewithal no, either no. so um and then more recently he's also one of the he's in the dune uh the new also won't be watching that well we may i may force us to watch it at some point no i don't want to i mean i don't really want to either like we were just talking in our production call before about how you feel like when i choose the movies i've assigned them to you and then that gives you a bit of rage (laughs) um like i assign them to myself and so sometimes i choose a movie that i know even i am gonna 
not love <laughs> or not be a fan of. So let's um, not do well, it. Well, I'm saving Dune for a very particular moment, which may never come. But I, it's like, you know, it's there. I'm curious what that, what is like a moment where you're like, I hate her. So I'm gonna, mm, like, I don't think it'll. What's that moment? It, it won't be a moment driven by hatred. I feel like that needs to be on record now. It won't be driven by hatred. Um, <laughs> but it will be driven by something like, I think we've gotten away from true science fiction, and I think we really need to get into oh. something like very classically, like part of that mm. world or whatever. Um, Gross. Well, <laughs> don't keep yourself up at night worrying about it. There will be some time. Um, and then, in terms of like, that's really the only characters we need for this movie. But I will say that the lab tech team that surrounds uh, these people are all, for the most part, recognizable people that go on to do other things. Um, yeah. Sarah is played by Kim Dickens. Carter is played by Greg Grunberg. Frank is played by Joey Slotnick. And Janice is played by Mary Randall. And pretty much all of them you've seen in other things. Um yeah, I don't know any of their names in the movie or those actors' names don't come to mind, but, like, I knew I recognized them yeah. pretty much. Yeah, So then we, like, open to this movie. Um, the credits, I wish the credits had been cooler because, um, like, I don't remember the movie the had so were. much. Oh, it was just, like, people's names kind of, like, a, like made out of transparent letters kind of. Um and I was hoping for something, I guess, a bit more creative because I'm like, the rest of the, like, because mm-hmm. the invisibility stuff was, and I guess they didn't we'll talk have time about it. after they did all the, I guess so. After they yeah. did all the invisibility stuff, they're like, we don't got time for this. Fair enough. Um, and that's, yeah, that's probably it because we open in this movie to Sarah, who is, um, like, I can't really tell for the most part what the different jobs are of the different lab techs in this team, but Sarah's yeah. job specifically, I think is described as being a veterinarian. So she's the one who's like responsible okay. for like caring for all the animals in this project. Um, and so the very first scene is her putting what I describe here as a very large rat um, into a maze. Um, and we follow the rat. I did not like this. No, I didn't care to see the rat, the rat already, I didn't like seeing, and then what happens I, to it that's also exactly what felt I thought. bad. <laughs> yeah. So, because yeah, what happens to the rat? Well, they're like dangling it down into a cage, and then they put it down, and I, I've already was like, yuck, I don't like this. And then all of a sudden, the rat gets like uh, starts like floating in the air, and you can tell like it. It looks like its neck is being compressed. Yes. And then you see, it's hard to explain, but, like, you see it get, like, eaten, basically, yeah. by an invisible creature. Yes. <laughs> and the final shot of this little opening scene is you see blood dripping in the air off invisible, like, teeth and fangs sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what animal, like... Because that later... Was that supposed to be like a tiger I or was it supposed it to be that gorilla? Tiger, but then I was like, well, we don't really see a tiger. We see this gorilla. And then I was like, do gorillas eat rats? And then I was like, I don't think they do. I think that they're like... I don't really think so either. Um, but... Do I thought gorillas... I thought 
primates were vegetarian. Yeah, are they not? I thought so. What do gorillas eat? It was the very first thing <laughs> that came up. Um, Bananas, it says. 85% of their diet is made up of leaves, shoots, and stems. But gorillas can yeah. also eat larvae, snails, ants, and roots. So they will eat meat. Um, it's not. They will, but a rat seems A rat big. doesn't seem like lar- the right larva. thing that they would eat. Yeah. Um, but I guess the um, maybe the way we're meant to read that, if it is indeed Isabel the gorilla eating that rat, is like... She's gone yeah, crazy. Yeah, because they talk about that a lot, that she's like <laughs> getting very kind of combative as a result of being invisible. Yeah. So then we go to Sebastian's apartment in Washington, D.C., um, and he's working late at night. Um, there seems to be like a running gag is too strong of a word for whatever this is, but they're like... They keep setting up the idea that, like, when Sebastian's thinking he needs to eat Twinkies. Um, so mm. he's doing that, and he's, like, staring at his computer. And um, he even has a sign on his ceiling that's designed. So, like, you know, when you're like, oh, I'm so frustrated, and you, like, lean back in your chair, and you kind of stare off into space. He's even set it up so that there's a poster on his wall on his ceiling that says, you should be working. And I saw that and I was like, I feel attacked by this movie. Like, I don't. Yeah, that is aggressive. I don't like that idea, like, that there is no time where of any day where work doesn't matter. Like, that you should be constantly on the go. You can't even, you can't literally even lay down. Right. And and not be reminded, like, you can be learning. That would absolutely, I would. I would rip that down off my ceiling so fast. It's <laughs> it's the exact opposite of like where we've gone as a culture now, which is like quiet <laughs> quitting and like just give up and don't like have mental health and things. Um, but it's very like two thousand, but early two thousand, yeah, yeah. two thousand, <laughs> like neoliberal, like any second that you're not working, you're losing out on some kind of important value or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, what they seem to be, what he seems to be working on, and, like, the the thing he looks at on his screen is, like, I keep calling it a molecule, but I'm not sure that that's what it is. Um, it's some science thing. And it just is, like, what they're trying to do is make something that is being identified as unstable make it be stable. Like, that's what they're trying to do. Okay. Um... As he's, like, staring around his place, eating Twinkies, not sure how to proceed, he um, finds himself looking out of his window to see his neighbor, his voluptuous neighbor, I should say, um, (laughs) getting undressed in front of the window. Um, And so... hmm. This is a trope in movies that we see a lot. People getting undressed in front of windows. And... Fully open windows. Like, fully open lights on. You live next to another window. Right, where you have to know, because, like, in this case, like, their windows are directly, like, opposite each other and seemingly at the exact same height. 
So, like, you as yes. the owner of the opposite windows would be aware of how visible you are because yes. you can see your neighbor looking, like, when you yes. go through your window. So. Okay, so just, like, the, just to be clear, I, my apartment, the windows look out into an alley pretty much into other windows as yes. well. And I and I am always like very aware. Like during the day, it like you can't see anything just based on right. the light. Like right. you just you can't really see anything. But I'm very aware. Like as soon as it's nighttime, and we don't even turn on that many lights. <laughs> as soon as it's nighttime, the curtains or the yes. shades are being pulled. Yes. Like I am not about to like take a shower, even with the, like I'm not even going to take a shower and rock with my towel. <laughs> In front of those <laughs> windows, and even even though even though the thing is like their blinds are always pretty much closed too, so it's not really like they're looking. But if I was like, and the people in movies too, they're like right up against the window yeah. too. They're not even like across the room. Right. It's like as if there is up. no floor, but for like a foot right next to the window. That's like <laughs> where you do all your walking is right next to yeah. the window. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, in my place, like my bedroom, because of like my apartment's like layout is kind of strange. My bedroom windows open into the hallway that anyone could like walk oh, by whoa. at any time. And so So those are closed all the time. Yeah, and so paranoid am I about that whole thing that like my apartment came with like blinds that just you like have a cord and they kind of go up and down they're not like venetian blinds it's just like one thing that goes up and down and yeah like because i guess they they're a bit old they've kind of curled at the edges so there is like a little tiny let's say um like a (laughs) like three quarters of an inch on either side Uh of potential visibility through the window from, (laughs) like, where I can... Where someone would have to put their eye... Yes, you would have to stand in a very specific way to look in Mm -hmm. through that bit of crack of light to see me (laughs) in my bedroom doing anything. But nonetheless, so concerned am I about that tiny sliver of available visibility that I then, when I moved in, bought curtains that now go... Fully across the window because mm-hmm. I'm like I don't want even the hint that yeah. someone can. No, look I get in that. Here. As less, although weirdly, it's less about getting dressed because I'm like, yes, I do get dressed and undressed in my bedroom, but one, I don't do it directly in front of the windows, as many a movie suggests, <laughs> and two, it's like the amount of time that I spend in some state of dressed or undressed in a given day is Very maybe brief. 90 seconds. Um, yeah. So I'm like, the idea that someone would be passing my window at that very moment and then stand in just the particular <laughs> way to see into me, to see yeah. a, a bare breast on me or something <laughs> is like utter laughable <laughs> nonsense. Like never yeah. would happen. But I'm like, still, nonetheless, I actually am more creeped out about the idea of like being asleep in there and then what well, if you're someone is peeking in or whatever. You yeah, know? of course. Um, but nonetheless, Sebastian finds himself <laughs> enjoying watching this woman get undressed. And Gross. then he gets, it's 
totally uh, inspires him, I guess, scientifically, and he gets an idea to fuss with this molecule. He does the computer program to like ma- like model the possibility, and it goes to stable, and then he like says out loud to no one. I am a goddamn genius. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And that is, uh, that is only one of a number of lines that he says where I'm like, man, oh man, you deliver that yes. in such a way. Um, so he then calls up his um, partner in this experiment. Uh, her name is Linda, according to IMDb, but everyone seems to call her Lynn in the movie. Okay. And he calls her up to say that, like, you know, he finally cracked it. He keeps calling it reversion for some reason. I don't really know what mm. it, that is in reference to exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And I, the main thing that I thought was interesting about this phone call. Well, is it not, is it, isn't the reversion, like, when it, it, like, goes away and then reversion would be, like, it coming back, rematerializing, sort I of? I guess so. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so the main thing that I thought was intriguing about this phone call that he does is not only that he calls his coworker in the middle of the night, which, no, I don't want that, but, like, they do <laughs> a video call in the year 2000. And... Oh, really? At this t- in the middle of the yes, night they do? Yes, they do a, a video call in the middle of the night, and the picture quality is impeccable. And I'm like... There is oh I didn't I forgot I missed yeah, that yeah there is no way that was a thing that was happening in the year two thousand um, well maybe was this movie supposed to be like one of those things where like it wasn't supposed to be in the future no, but no it was it was like they're scientists so they might have like some high tech stuff that maybe the normals wouldn't have maybe that was what that was showing I don't really know but the main I think the main reason they've done this video call is because. Um, they want to, like, tease this idea that Lynn is having a relationship with somebody, but we don't know who. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, so because he's called in the middle of the night, Sebastian sees that there's someone else in Lynn's bed. Yeah. Because she's, like, set up her work computer phone that, like... In bed. Yeah, it's like, the camera shows my bed. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Um... Yeah, that's a mistake. So so that's like, and he's trying to kind of pester her to reveal who is there, which she does not. Um, but we as the audience, as soon as the video call is over, learn that Lynn and Matt are dating and that they all work in the same team and that therefore they're hiding their romantic relationship from Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get a great shot of... Kevin Bacon driving around in, I think it's a Porsche, um, but it's a convertible of some persuasion, and he's listening to, uh, let's see, I've like described it as heavy industrial rock or heavy guitar. He's just <laughs> like, it's that too is very 2000. It was very like evanescence yeah. sounding. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It, but, like, it, that, the music he's listening to, as far as I recall, had no vocal. It was just some sort of instrumental something or other. Ooh, Evanescence with no vocal is, like, It's a, a weird bad. choice. That's um, not good. 
<laughs> so he arrives in his lab, which I'm fairly certain because they have some shots to establish that this is happening in Washington, D.C., even though the lab set itself mm-hmm. like they were, that filming was happening in like California. Um, the exterior shots are all D.C., and I feel like where this warehouse secret lab is, is like down in the Navy Yard part of Washington, D.C., but I'm not 100% sure. Mm. Um, they get to the, we get to the lab, and we see that it's full of different animals, all being tested, all some of which are invisible, some of which are not. Um, and specifically, we see Matt taking care of the gorizo- gorilla named Isabel, who may or may not have eaten a rat in the opening scene. Um, we're not <laughs> sure. And Isabel is becoming more and more aggressive the longer she is invisible. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what Matt is doing in her cage. Maybe he's like, I think he's maybe trying to get a blood sample or something. Um, yeah. but in the context of that, Isabel sort of attacks Matt, escapes her cage, and because she's invisible, they need to figure out where she is. So um, they wear these special, like, infrared heat-sensing goggles. I don't totally know how I describe them. Um, And... Sebastian walks in to this. It's sort of like Predator. They yes. like put on goggles yes. so they can be like Predator. And we, yeah, and because we do get quite a lot of shots of like through the goggles, it's like a heat image. Yeah. Um, and that's how we can see them. And Sebastian walks into this chaos um, where everyone is trying to basically trank gun Isabel the gorilla so that they can do what they need to do. Um And what they need to do is they're going to be attempting this reversion process on Isabel. Um, And we watch them preparing for this. I will say there's quite an opportunity for hair talk here because in the first reveal of, well, no, not in the first reveal, but like this is when I noticed like what they had decided to do with um, Elizabeth Shue's hair in this movie. Oh, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, because, like, my handwritten notes say, what's ES's haircut about, question mark? And then yeah. I wrote, as an answer, a curly Karen. It's not good. It's, it, like, she still looks cute. It's not her fault, yeah. like, but she's still, like, she's someone who can, like, pull off a bad haircut. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, I've like had this haircut Have she had, you? and it's a mistake. <laughs> well, maybe not quite that short, but I did too short and it's a mistake with curly hair. Well, like in less- yeah, and it was having a very, especially at the back, it was having a real well, like, it was, like triangle it- situation happening. Well, cause it... Asymmetrical doesn't quite work on curly no. hair. And I think like there were very specific hairstyles that were big... I mean, now, too, it's a problem. But, like, in the early 2000s, I think it was, it literally was a big struggle to have curly hair. Yeah. That sounds dramatic. Yeah. But, like, the no cool hairstyle had 
it was not cool to have curly hair. No, no cool hairstyle. Nobody had worked out how to take like what we know about a cool hairstyle and like adjust it for curly hair. Like what would you, if you wanted this hairstyle, what would you have to do if you've got curly hair? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I do, I do feel like they were trying to do like a hairstyle of the time on her that just like didn't translate with curly hair. Um, it was yeah, like yeah. It was it was not my favorite. aggressively edgy somehow, and I was like, I don't get what this is. And I do also think yeah. they did seem to be in a realm where they were like, if we're gonna have, well, it's actually a total of three women doing science in this movie. One of them is black, so she has. I think she just had kind of typical braids. There was nothing that stood out to me in her look, especially much. But both um, Elizabeth Shue and now I'm forgetting the name. Oh, yeah. Kim Dickens, who plays Sarah. Both of them clearly have these very short haircuts. And I'm like, did we have to, like, they can't have long hair if they're going to do science kind of thing. I'm like, okay, I maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um Because, I mean, and actually I did like Sarah. Sarah's short hair is exactly the short hair that, because I have curly hair, I can never do, which is, like, that was really popular at that time of, like, the little kind of, like, not even a pixie cut exactly, but, like, very, like, wafy um, short hair that she's got going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyway, we're all attempting. They, like, take – they manage to get – Isabel, the gorilla, onto this table, I guess like the operating table, they strap her down and they are injecting her with this new serum, which is, I guess, meant to do this reversion process. And so Mm -hmm. they inject her and they inject her, even though she's invisible, they put like blue spray paint where her veins are so that they can see what she's like, where the veins are so they can inject her. Mm-hmm. And then, do you want to try and describe what we watch after she receives this injection? Um, we, uh, I don't remember exactly until she was, like, out of the lab and they were chasing nothing. Right. Um, I don't remember what it looked like when she was on the table. I forget. So they inject her with this serum that is blue And what we see first is, like, the blue serum starts working its way into her veins of her arm. Mm -hmm. And and then Mm -hmm. we watch as the veins of a gorilla become visible. And they, like, network out. So at one point we see kind of an interesting, almost, like, lace-like pattern in the shape of a gorilla that then yeah then it's like the next level is like i think the next thing we see is like her skeleton starts to appear mm. and then right. the musculature of her body starts to grow over that yeah mm. and like at one point as this is going everything seems to be going according to plan but then there's like this brief moment where it's all like all of a sudden things seem to be going wrong. Um, but mm. in the end, they managed to bring Isabel from being invisible to being fully visible. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so this proves that this new reversion process that uh, Sebastian has worked out is now genuinely effective. Um, And what we don't know, what we don't see or even get any sense of is like, was, I mean, it suggests that she, that doing it on a primate was like the last step before human testing. Um, but like, I don't know. Cause they also have that invisible dog in the mix. Right. And I'm like, does, can, have you already made sure that that one can be returned to visibility? I'm not sure. Right. Or they just don't care. Yeah. They're just, <laughs> just leaving like staying invisible. just an invisible dog. No big deal. Um, so then, uh, we see a scene where the team is enjoying their successes. They're at a fancy restaurant and, Sebastian, who is this, like, yeah, he is a megalomaniac. He it, he does have a god complex. Um, he yeah. basically tells Lynn that now that they've um, made this breakthrough, he is already bored with the project. Um, he sucks. <laughs> that's so annoying. That's, like, I'm sorry. That, like, honestly, like, that's a trait that annoys me more than some of even his other like toxic things he does right. and says in this movie. Yeah. But like someone who I, I I mean I think we see it as super driven right. in our society yeah, yeah. like someone who's like yeah. oh I've got to do the next thing the next thing but it's really just like stop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and maybe that's me as someone who's like not that type of driven but it's like it's like you literally just I mean in this particular case you literally just Invisibled and revisible, <laughs> however you would say it, a, a freaking gorilla. Right. Like you, like how in the we did that today, sir. Yeah. How are you going to say you're bored? Well, I cannot. And as well, like I would say this. I know that for for scientists, like one of the main keys is like once you manage to do something, then you need to reproduce it many times over before you can like say yes this is yeah. like a process it's not that like we figured that works. out it was perfect yeah like the yeah. Di- one the gorilla almost died in the process and right two i'm like you've literally done this once so you've decided that this is now fine like and it's and there's no point in continuing testing i'm like even one of the more let's say cavalier scientists in the world yeah. would probably hang out for at least, like, let's do eight or nine more tests before I get bored. Like, yeah, um, that's a great point. And especially even with, like, a, a, an even smaller, less dangerous type of project, I'm sure there are more tests done yeah, than just, like, like one. Th- I mean, the whole thing, even just the whole project itself, like, the way it's described is weird because late like so now we can jump to so then we go to the Pentagon where Sebastian, mm-hmm. Matt, and Lynn are meant to report on their findings to this like committee of like military people primarily um about their progress. And what we learn is that they've been working on the issue of invisibility for the past four years. So I'm also like four years to go from we don't have invisibility Zero. to we do. Yeah. Seems like a very good timeline to me. Um, Which is also why I'm curious 
-hmm. in real 2023, <laughs> if any if any scientists are listening, please tell us how close are we to invisibility? Is that something that is literally being worked on? I'm very curious about that. Okay, let me see. Are you looking yes. it up? <laughs> <laughs> um, and has it taken more than four years? And if so, get on it. Come on. Come okay. On, so that. according to what I just Googled on the internet, which is always a great sentence starter. Um, yeah. The, the brief description I just saw here is like that humans are mostly water. Um, and so if we wanted to be invisible, light would be able, light would have to pass through us as though it passed through air. Um, so essentially, according to this thing, every cell in our body would have to change to interact with light the way air interacts with light. Yeah. And so I guess... That sounds like that'd probably be difficult. It would be difficult, I think. Um, <laughs> just off... <laughs> well, I I, like, <laughs> Offhand, that sounds difficult. But, like, the... I guess also what I've heard about like teleportation is my other like favorite phenomenon right. that like I wish we could have. And I think my understanding of the real life problem with it is the idea of like your body vaporizing and then re vapor or yeah. well, I don't know how you say these things, but like, um, disappearing and reappearing or like breaking down and then right re unbreaking down so i think it's invisibility probably has a similar issue with the like if every cell has to be yeah, yeah. totally uh, changed okay. at the well cuz that like they they play fast and loose with whatever science might be kind of connected to this but they do yeah. say a lot yeah, they yeah. they say the word like quantum quite a bit um well I mean I think I mean I'm I'm so curious again like about you know a, a true true like scientist who like really knows what's up like on like a very <laughs> um broad level with science like watching sci-fi I'm very curious if it's like frustrating if it's like all so so wrong probably um, it would be it very like frustrating so, so many of <laughs> Yeah, so many of these movies, it seems like there's a big gloss over yes. of the science. And a, and a lot of we just accept that they said a bunch of words and they sounded smart. Yeah. So I guess that's how yeah. this works. I mean, so what I have been able to gather in my continued little, like, musings on the internet. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, so... I, there are technologies that do exist now that um, might that seem to be referred to as cloaking, um, and oh, interesting. And so you can like an invisibility cloak. <laughs> well, not exactly, but yes. Oh. <laughs> um, but like, uh, think more about. And I know this is not really. For you to think about because you don't watch Star Trek. But like in Star Trek, certain uh, like the Romulans have a, a cloaking device that they can activate and it hides their ship from sensors. It doesn't make the ship disappear. It just bends light kind of around oh, the ship. 
Um, oh, interesting. And, and the, oh, so it's like... Oh. Yeah, so basically, what? so I found this weird article that seems to be inspired by the movie The Invisible Man, <laughs> the Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. one, because that one is where, because okay. I think in that one, if I remember correctly, that movie, he's got like a suit with a bunch of like fancy mirrors or yeah. something that are meant yes. to create a sort that's of effect. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And so that's, and I, this is reassuring because I thought this was true. So like what... What we can do to some degree with varying levels of success at the moment is manipulate light around an object and it mm. can s- sort of create invisible. Yes, like create an effect that is a that bit makes like sense. that makes more sense. Um, okay, that makes a lot more sense than what they're posing in this movie yeah okay yeah so basically there are things that i think i would say especially what does exist is stuff that you can do to manipulate the like area around an object such that for example Mm -hmm. it can't appear on radar or it would be undetectable by other forms of detection you know like you can do things like that right 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 but like the object isn't really transparent. Like, it isn't really invisible. Right, right, right. Um, It's just about... Yeah. uh, Your body... It's like the difference between magic as done by a magician in real life and, like, the tricking of the eye versus, like, the magic as described in Harry Potter. Like, that's what we're talking about here. Right, 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 Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Uh I... It is. It's sleight of hand versus, like, actual... Yeah, yeah. And so so to return to this movie, first of all, the (laughs) very idea that they have spent a a mere four years tinkering with the fundamental mechanics of of cells and DNA and I don't know what all, of all these various animals to get to the point where they've just done their first, like, primate test and it's successful. And the people on the committee are mm-hmm. like, hurry up. I'm like, wait, what? Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. And also, and also, I would think that scientists would call bullshit on of the very first, like, I, gr- I granted we haven't seen every single test they've done, blah, 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 but it is, does seem like this is their first one on primates. Right. And a first test on something big like this to be successful probably is not accurate either. Well, maybe like there's always a time when there's the first attempt to to actually work, like sure. But again, mm. you still would and you and you'd probably report your findings, which again, in this movie they do not report their findings to the committee. Um, <laughs> but you would probably, yeah, that would be a big moment. That's why they're celebrating. But then everyone involved would be like, well, let's, now that we've had this breakthrough, we, gotta keep working we have to like keep going to see if this is a repeatable success or if it was just a fluke of some sort yeah. of variety of things. Primarily because if I understood this meeting in the Pentagon correctly, um, they're planning to use this on soldiers. Like... Um, oh, that, see, I didn't get that connection. Like, I mean, that makes sense. Because, like, why else would you be wanting to, yeah, because I I think in Kevin Bacon's little speech that he gives them, I think he does say, you asked us if we could make 
somebody be invisible and then have them come back, like, without any problems. And so I'm like, first of all, that's a big fucking ask. But, like, um, seriously. And then we, we've spent the four years and we're very close. And, and everyone at this table is like, well, work faster. And I'm like... What? Get it right. <laughs> like, I don't, these then, people are like messing with the fundamental like aspects that define reality and you're saying they're not working fast enough. And, and also like, I don't, I don't know what the, the goal is in terms of like making soldiers invisible, but like, hey guys, guess the hell what? We've had, you know, military since the like beginning of humans and they've never been invisible before. So, like, I think we can hold on. Right. It's not, like, a super pressing issue that we get this It technology. doesn't seem like it. I mean, it would be cool, I guess. Uh, yeah. But, like... I mean, and this is from the year 2000. So, like, this is before 9-11. This is after... Yeah, we weren't even in Afghanistan yeah. yet, guys. Calm I down. I know. Well, and, in, and this even goes to something else that I wanted to point out. So, like, this meeting that they have at the Pentagon... Uh, Sebastian basically says to the committee, we need more time. Matt and Lynn are surprised about this because they thought he was going to say this, you know, big reveal, which he opts not to. Yeah. Then outside of the Pentagon, they're talking about why he hasn't told them about their success. And the shot that they have um, is genuinely outside of the Pentagon, um, very close to the actual building. And it's an entrance that now basically has been closed ever since 9-11. Because of 9-11. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of wild. And I think I remember reading in Wikipedia that that's like the closest shot any like movie has ever been to the pe- to the actual Pentagon. Like that they were extremely like oh, shooting whoa. on shooting on the grounds and like legitimately on Pentagon soil doing this shot, which they would not do anymore. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So I am. I am. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but I'm like, okay. Like, why are you even developing this technology? Because the Cold War is over. The war on terror hasn't begun. This movie like, predicted 9/11. I guess so. I guess it's. A, a, this some, movie is a conspiracy. Oh theory. God. I mean, it probably is. Um, when, when Lynn and Matt are like, but how come you didn't tell them about Isabel? Sebastian basically reveals that what he wants to do, because now apparently phase three is going to begin and phase three means human testing. Um, and he wants to be the first, uh, human upon whom to test. Of course he does. Um, Hubris at its best. Indeed. Uh, I personally, again, we've, we've now said this a number of times and I'm just going to say it again. Like I, if I, even if I were the sort of person who's like, this is my invention and I want to test it on myself, I still would be like, can we test eight or nine more gorillas before we do this on me? Like, of course. And I still don't think I would ever want to be the first of anything. I I think it's (laughs) unlikely that I would ever do it, but like. I would be like, we need more primate tests before we go forward. Absolutely. Um, but in this case, absolutely. In this case, his two buddies say, "Yeah, we don't love this idea, but we will do it." 
And specifically, what Matt and Lynn help Sebastian do is hide from the rest of the team that this test phase has not been discussed nor approved um, by this committee that they're all working for. Um, And I'm only saying this because it sort of kind of becomes important later. Sarah, in particular, the veterinarian, does not like how these things are going. She and Sebastian seem to have a very contentious relationship. And so, Yeah, well, he doesn't... Well, I will say I do feel like... This, this Their relationship is also one that I think is familiar in movies because I read it as he doesn't find her attractive, mm, so she's mm, useless to him Okay, in that regard. Sure, yeah. And doesn't want to hear yeah, a yeah. goddamn word yeah. she says. Yeah, totally. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, the, but so Lynn, Matt, and Sebastian have hid from the rest of the team that this has not been approved. And so everyone is all gung-ho mm-hmm. to have, and they've decided that the test will be, that Sebastian will be invisible for three days, and then they'll return him back to visibility. Will this three-day invisibility test go well, or will it end absolutely in a bloodbath? Find out next week when we continue our discussion on The Hollow Man. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.